Welcome in Lake Kick is live. It is Tuesday night, September 29th, the year of our Lord, 2020. Debate night is upon us. And of course, I mean, who in the world's going to win Saturday? Auburn, Georgia, AM, Alabama. We got a lot to talk about. It is Prediction Tuesday. We predict games every Tuesday. We don't wait till Thursday. We don't wait till Friday. We lead the pack. We get it out there on Tuesday, and we do everyone else's show prep form, essentially, or at least we try to. So we're going to predict games tonight. We're going to give you picks straight up. We're going to give you picks against the spread. Speaking of the spread, by the time we go off the air in just a few short moments, we will have added two more best bets to the Ramen Noodle Express. A lot to get to, obviously. I'm also going to go a little bit deeper into Florida. Why? Because you've been asking me about it. And a lot of people have come at me with essentially... 15 different versions of the same retort. Anytime someone gives Florida praise, it's, well, yeah, but it was Ole Miss. It was. Okay. So we're going to discuss that in just a second. I'm also going to tell you that you guys did a great job on Sunday night. We were diving back through the analytics, and I don't want to bore you with a lot of this stuff because numbers tend to do that, but the average viewer on our Sunday night show, which set all kinds of records, watched this show for over 20 minutes. The average viewer, let me state it again for those in the back, watched Sunday night's show or the replay of the show for over 20 minutes. If you don't know how to interpret that, let me just say, it is far and away one of the most bonkers numbers that you will ever see on this platform they call YouTube. Some movies don't have average viewership for 20 and a half minutes. So thank you so, so, so much. It means the ones of you who tuned in essentially stayed here the whole show. So thank you so much for that. All right, we got a whole lot to get to. We've got, as I said, game predictions coming up. Also... I want to remind you, almost did it again this morning. Almost dropped another pick on the Ramen Noodle Express, which is our five pick of best bets for the week. Almost dropped one on this morning's Late Kick Extra podcast. Didn't quite have the number we wanted. We do now. We're going to drop it at the end of the show. Make sure you are subscribed to that podcast. Make sure you don't miss a show on here. Make sure you don't miss a show there. With that in mind, let's dive in, shall we? We've got predictions coming up, but I wanted to get to this first. Florida plays South Carolina Saturday. It's not necessarily a game we expect, to be all that tightly contested, crazier things have happened. We're going to talk more about that game later in the week. But I did want to just kind of remind people, and we talked about this in the preseason, but I felt it necessary to remind you again. Florida obviously had an impressive opening week win against Ole Miss. They went in there and they ran up half a hundred on them. And so in a typical year, our theory is I want to see two weeks of a season before I start changing any hardwired preconceived notions about a team. And that's normally with good reason, because normally we've gotten enough viable intel from spring, summer, and fall workouts and spring practice and fall camp that we can form a reasonable, logic-based foundation of a belief about a team. This year, we had none of that. We didn't have spring. We didn't have summer workouts, at least to the degree you normally would. We did not have a normal fall camp in a sense that we didn't get any information because they were all closed. No one could go. And so normal uh, modes of communication and normal means with which we would gather information, they were non-existent. And there were fractions of whispers that you would normally get. So my point is, with Florida this year and with teams this year, as I told you uh, quite a while back, I had written in my preseason notes in all caps, Value week one of the 2020 season more than everything you heard in the months leading up to the season combined. So what does that mean for Florida? Well, as I told you with Florida, I didn't pick this team to win the SEC East. I'm going to revise that in just a few minutes. I did not pick this team to win the SEC East. And the reason that I gave you, I said it was 51-49. I was right on the fence with it, but I picked Georgia. And the reason was because I wasn't necessarily sold that there was going to be this 
quantum leap, this progression of production between last year and this year for Kyle Trask. And I was not convinced that their, um, their perimeter skill was quite as deep. I knew the names, but I didn't know it was quite as deep and dependable and varied as a lot of Florida fans swore to me that it was. And so that was my preseason notion. I watched them play Ole Miss. They just carved Ole Miss up. Could have probably named a score a lot higher than they did. And so coming out of that game, I drastically revised my perception of Florida. And I was not bashful about it. I'm not bashful about it now. That's only a couple of days old now. I'm not bashful about it now. I'm telling you unequivocally, and I don't mind doing this, I picked Georgia to win the East. If I made that decision again today, I would have totally 180'd on that. I would absolutely pick Florida to win the SEC East if we were to turn in those predictions today. That's how much week one, kind of on both sides of that fence, changed my mind. You only have the information to go on that is before you right now. And you can forecast this to happen or that to happen, but let's talk about Florida here for a second. Every time this week so far, and it's early, it's only Tuesday, every time I've given praise to Florida, inevitably there's been someone or 10 people in the room or on Twitter or whatnot that have said, well, it was just Ole Miss. <laughs> hey, dude, it was just Ole Miss. Like, I didn't watch the game. Like, like, I haven't fooled CBS into paying me to watch these games for a living. I know it was Ole Miss. I saw it. Guys, I, I watched every snap, and I've watched the game again since then a couple times. So I know it was all Miss. What are you talking about? What do you mean when you say that? It, can you not learn anything when you play an inferior opponent? Um, line on the game wasn't 31. Line on the game was 12 and a half when we got it as our best bet of the week, and then it went up to 14. And so point being, they won by more than that. So they exceeded an odds maker's expectation. They exceeded most people's expectation in week one. But when you say it, it, it was just Ole Miss – let me remind you of something, because my entire basis for this point is I think they're a whole lot better than they were last year. Last year, just a few games I picked, Florida in 2019, they scored 24. These are total points, not just offensive, total points. They scored 24 against Miami. They scored 29 at Kentucky. They scored 34 against Tennessee. They scored 24 against Auburn. They scored 23 at Missouri. These were last year's results. That's not just one or two. That's like half of their schedule last year. That was the offensive production. Yeah, it's one sample size. It's one week's worth of sample size this year. But the showing they had Saturday, if you are familiar with Florida football, you spotted the difference immediately. Immediately. I don't care if they were playing against air. They looked radically different for the better than they did this time a season ago. They have got, and they've, they've got a lot that I love, okay? Obviously, they've got a dynamic quarterback. They've got dynamic and very, very different versatile pieces on the perimeter in the skill department. Kyle Pitts was, like I said, the best football player that I saw on any field Saturday. But I want to ask you, because that's what I see. So if you disagree with me, I want to ask you, what is your hesitance rooted in? I think the answer is it's rooted in preconceived notions you formed during the preseason reading a magazine that was printed before we even knew how many games we were going to play, or depth charts that were made up by some guy who writes for a living because they didn't come from Dan Mullen. The folks who cover the Florida beat didn't even know who was starting until a couple of hours before game time last Saturday. So my point is, if you still doubt Florida, if you're still of the belief that, oh, Georgia is far and away the team that's going to win the SEC East, what is it rooted in? Because there's no chance it's rooted just in what you saw in week one. If I were to have taken you and sent you to Mars for the offseason, and then I brought you back, and I wiped your memory clean, but you still maintain your knowledge of college football, and you just watched week one, what would you think about the SEC East? What would you think? 
I always go back to the old, the old faithful, the old reliable, the Pierce Brosnan Protocol. And the Pierce Brosnan Protocol from the hit blockbuster, Colin's favorite movie by 10 Miles, Dante's Peak, is just this. He was looking around at that little town just outside of Dante's Peak, and it's a volcano movie. And he said, uh, I mean, he's a geologist. He said, you know, we need, to put, we need to put this town on alert. And no one wanted to put the town on alert. And he said, you know, if you take a frog and you put him in a pot of water and you slowly turn the heat up, the frog will just boil to death. But if you throw the frog in the boiling water, it'll hop right out. And they said, well, what is that, Harry? Your recipe for frog soup? And he goes, no, it's my recipe for disaster. Well, you know what it's my recipe for? A bunch of folks making a fool out of themselves when they talk about what Florida is and is not capable of. We're clipping that for individual use, I can tell you that. This team right here is for real. I don't need to wait five weeks to tell you they're for real. It's my point. If you guys want to wait, that's all well and good. I don't need to see anything more than I saw the other day. What you should be throwing in my face is defense. That's what you should be throwing in my face. And not a lot of people did. But if you did, I would ask you this. What were you probably screaming this time and even later than this time last year about LSU? You were probably screaming, oh, defensively, they're not there. I mean, Joe Burrow, yeah, okay, that dude looks a lot better than he did a year ago when he got shut out by Alabama. And yeah, they got offensive skill for days. But, I mean, they just had 38 hung on them by Vanderbilt. Those were people that didn't watch the game and realize a lot of those were non-offensive points. But I digress. This time last year, you were hating on LSU's defense. And then LSU started getting guys back. Just like Florida's about to start getting guys back. You really think Florida defensively is going to look that bad the rest of the year? They may not be a top three unit, but you think they're going to look that bad? And if they can score like they showed the proclivity to do in week one, do they really need to be holding everyone under 17 points per game? I don't think so. So everyone out there that I have heard questioning Florida's validity, those are also the same folks who about their own team are saying, oh, don't worry, it was just week one, we'll get it together. Well, you can't predict week to week rapid improvement for your team, but look at Florida and say, no, 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 that's actually the best they're ever gonna look. They're gonna, they're gonna regress the year and we're gonna progress this year and that's not the way that works. At least I don't think that's the way it's gonna work. All right, let's predict some games. The game that we're gonna start with, the CBS Game of the Week, 3.30 Eastern, 2.30 Central kickoff from Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Bama a 17-point favorite in what we called in the preseason the game of the year in the SEC West. That is Texas A&M at Alabama. Now, we do things a little bit different when we have big favorites, and we're going to break down a game here. We don't just do a normal shot-for-shot -shot breakdown. We acknowledge that Alabama's favored. They're favored for a reason. At the end of this preview, Colin's going to show you our game capsule where we juxtapose the Vegas line to our line. So we'll do that in just a few minutes. But we acknowledge Bama's a big favorite for a reason. So we're not going to necessarily lay out, okay, here's who we think is going to win the game. It's pretty easy to figure out there. But what we do is we say, could an upset happen? And so theoretically, 17-point dog, a crazier things have happened just in the last week alone. So yeah, I guess Texas A&M could pull an upset what we do in the preview briefly is we try and lay out the path. How could they potentially pull that off? And to be honest with you, eh, there are probably a few ways you think you could go. Let's go down these roads uh, to varying degrees, you and I both. So some coaches, you may think to yourself, uh, some coaches can spring a trap on you, right? Some coaches are very, very unpredictable. And some quarterbacks you can rely on to just have the game of their life. Think Steven Garcia against Alabama in 2010. Think, for, for that matter, Steve Spurrier, the head coach of that South Carolina team in 2010. Point being, those are examples of coaches and or quarterbacks who could just in one afternoon have the game of their life. Does Jimbo Fisher strike you as that man? Does Kellen Mond strike you as that quarterback? Because i got to be honest. 
My answers are no and no. So again, crazier things have happened, but I don't see that route being anything other than a dead end. So let's find another path. What about this path? Well, we held back versus Vanderbilt. This has got to be your hope if you're an A&M fan. Uh, turnovers were a big deal in this game. It was kind of a rare occurrence, but you got to you got to scan a message board, you got to listen to a talk radio show, and you got to listen for about five minutes in a game like they had against Vanderbilt, where they won by five. I think they were favored by 30, they won by five. You got to listen for about five minutes or scan for about five minutes to find someone who is going to suggest to you, well, we probably just didn't show everything. We probably held something back. Well, I don't think that's true. I think that rarely happens to the degree that fans think it happens. If you, if you believe that there is a head coach of any seasoning walking up and down a sideline in a conference game that's a one-possession game in the second half, and he's going, uh, eh, that one would probably work, but I want to save that one. Uh, no, we're not going to show that personnel package. No, no. That's how you end up sitting in the stands saying such nonsense. No, they do what it takes to win the game. But let me humor you for a second. If that were true, do you honestly think there's anything about Jimbo Fisher and Kellen Mond's capabilities offensively, if they've shown it or not, that Nick Saban and that offensive staff or defensive staff don't know about? Do you really think that? Nick Saban, at this point, probably knows Jimbo Fisher well than some of his relatives. Guy knows every tendency. Guy knows everything they've ever done, everything they're probably capable of. He could probably call their offense for them, and he's not even an offensive guy. They got some sweet masks at Alabama, though. Colin, we need to get us some of them. We may wear them on the air. So... I'm going to shoot that one down. Let's go the third route. The third ray of hope is that, oh, maybe defensively, A&M can take something away. You know, you, you take away an explosive passing game, force them to beat you on the ground. You take away uh, the star running back, you force them to beat you through the air. We're going to talk about a lot more in the Auburn-Georgia preview in just a second. What do you take away from Alabama? Because this goes back to what I said about Alabama. and talk about this a little bit more down the road, too. This goes back to what I said following last week's game. Some Bama fans actually complained. I, I, I loved what they showed offensively. Because what they showed is you can try and take away whatever you want to. They have the makings of a premier running game. And they also have the makings of a very efficient and explosive enough passing game. Now, this is not a situation where it's a passing game where uh, they got a noodle arm quarterback, but he's good enough to move the chains and he's good enough to put together 12 or 14 play drives. No, they can burn you in two or three plays. They got guys like Devontae Smith. They got guys like Jalen Waddle and Mechie. They got those guys. And they got a quarterback that's got a plenty good enough arm. Had Tua Tungavailoa not ever come along in this program, you'd look at Mac Jones a lot differently. And you'd say, man, that's one of the best quarterbacks they've had. Oh, he is. He's not quite Tungavailoa. But then again, I don't think they want this offense to be molded like it was over the past couple of years. Because you know what I think Nick Saban wants the ability to do? I think he wants the ability to trot out 340-pound offensive linemen and just lean on you. And he looks across the field and he thinks, honestly, if you can stand up to this for four quarters, you deserve to win. I don't think you can. And he and I are speaking congruently now because I don't think they can either. So what is the remaining option? Well, the remaining option here is, well, maybe A&M can pop them 10, 14 points and they can tilt the game early. I guess they could. They did it last year. They scored on them. I think the opening drive last year, I was at that game. It feels so weird talking about games you were on the field for. That's been a long time. Um, 
Listen, if you think it's going to happen, that's wonderful. I think it's more likely to occur the other way. I think it's more likely that Alabama pops them early. I think they'll be very aggressive. Will the Alabama Crimson Tide their passing game early like they were this last week? And they pop A&M for a few points early because what does that do? Obviously, what that forces A&M to do is throw the ball to win the game. And if you've watched this series recently, throwing the ball to win the game is not necessarily where you want to find yourself if you're A&M and you are Kellen Mond. So... I'm going to show you what our game capsule has here, and I, I promise you, I try and find the path. I couldn't really find the path for the upset here. Outside of a, a freakish minus four, minus five turnover type deal, Colin, we'll show the people what the Vegas line is, and then we'll show you what the late kick line is. And a reminder, we, we generate our own number here. So we simulate a game a thousand times. What do we think the average final score would be? So the game capsule is as such. For those of you listening on the podcast, Colin's showing it to you right now. Vegas has this thing right around 17. That's uh, the number currently that is bettable at most shops. Alabama favored by 17. We're a little bit north of that. We got Bama minus 19. And that's about what I expect here. Uh, Sometimes there's not much skill in predicting final scores. Uh, Anywhere from the 38 to 45 point range for Bama, anywhere from the 13 to 20 point range for A&M, that's kind of what I expect this to be at. Uh, You know, I don't think anyone's getting shut out, but uh, here's the thing. That may make it look like we don't have a lot of respect for A&M. No, I think that's the second best overall roster in the SEC West right now. So that is competitive as it relates to what the rest of the SEC West, we think, will present to Alabama. Now, you could argue, you could argue that whole roster point, but this is not a bad team. A&M's actually a very good team. It's just you can't be very good, especially if you're only very good at quarterback or good to very good. You don't stand a very good chance of beating Alabama. So that's what we see in that one. Now let's roll on. Oh, my. I look at this piece of paper, and I see. Let's see I look at my phone, and then I look at this piece of paper. My phone says... Well, it says September 29th, but let's be real. It says week two of SEC play. And yet here we are. It's Auburn, Georgia week. This game is Saturday, 7.30 Eastern on ESPN. Georgia at home favored by seven points right now. Seeing that at six and a half at some shops against Auburn. This is the new SEC. You're getting the usual late season rivalry games early in the season This is such a huge game. I cannot overstate the importance of this game. And I don't think, I was doing some radio hits today, and I've brought this point up. I think they understand the magnitude at Georgia and Auburn, obviously, but I don't think nationally a lot of people are grasping how massive this game is. So let me tell you how massive it is. Georgia's favored. Let's just say Auburn pulls the upset. Let's say Auburn moves to 2-0. There were a lot of people who doubted their ability to beat Kentucky, And that one was very competitive. Uh, Obviously, there are going to be a lot of people who doubt their ability here. But I'm going to minimize my screen right here, and I'm going to pull something up. If Auburn were to win Saturday, that would move them to 2-0. Let me read you the following games that they would play in over the next month to month and a half. Auburn would play Arkansas at home. They'd play South Carolina on the road. They'd play Ole Miss on the road. They would play LSU at home. They'd have a bye week. They would play Mississippi State on the road. They would play Tennessee at home, and then they'd have the Iron Bowl the last week of November. Allow me to translate. If Auburn wins this game Saturday, they will be 2-0 with a likelihood that they will be favored in every game until they play Alabama late in November. Now you kind of start to understand how big this game is and how potentially it could shift a lot of things in the SEC because you'd have a lot of folks in the West with a 2-0 team on their hands that they did not think would be 2-0. So 
You need to clear your schedule for this one. You need to make time on Saturday night. It is a cross-section. It appeals to everyone. It's a rivalry game. There are obviously conference and national ramifications on the line. The matchups are there. Quarterback drama's there. We're about to get into that. Everything is there. It's just a beautiful thing. So let's get into Georgia. A lot of angst, a lot of nervousness about what happened against Arkansas last week, with good reason. I think there are a lot of questions at the quarterback spot here. I've taken a lot of flack, which honestly I'm a little surprised by, by suggesting that Stetson Bennett, a few things can be true here. You could praise his work ethic. You could praise the uh, program buy-in nature of this guy. He's been there. He's run scout team for him. Everyone there loves him. And he came in and he won a game for him against Arkansas in week one. Oh, that's true. I'm not questioning that. Stetson Bennett, as it turns out, was the right guy for the job Saturday. I'm not questioning that. What I have merely suggested, and I'll do it again in no uncertain terms, I don't think Stetson Bennett's going to lead Georgia to an SEC championship. That's my opinion. That's where I stand on it. I didn't think that was that radical. A lot of you did. A lot of you thought I was taking a personal shot at the kid, I guess. Well, I'm not. I got a healthy amount of respect for what he was called to do, especially having not taken very many first-team reps at all. And he came off the bench and ran that offense like he's been doing it for four or five years. Well, now Arkansas is in the rear view. And now you got probably the most pivotal stretch of your season. And it starts with Auburn this Saturday. Now, as much panic as there's been, here's what I want to do. Let's do a little exercise in changing perception. What if I were to tell you we're going to keep everything about the outcome the same in that Arkansas game? But here's what we're going to do. We're going to take the second half and the first half, and we're going to reverse them. So Stetson Bennett started the game, puts out the same performance that he did. They build a huge lead and go into the locker room. Then they get Dewan Mathis some work, and they look terrible. Okay, that's the way a game normally goes, right? You build the lead, then you get your back up some work, and then eh, things are kind of iffy. I don't think people would be near as panicked. And the reason I mention that is it doesn't change anything about last Saturday, and they won the game, so they don't need to change anything. But I think people would just look at Stetson Bennett and say, okay, well, our starter got the job done, and then we brought in the backups, and backups did what backups do. And the only thing I changed there are the halves. I kept the game the same. Well, Stetson Bennett is probably going to be your starter Saturday. Enter JT Daniels, who after the show that we had Sunday was announced to be cleared. JT Daniels is eligible to play medically for Georgia Saturday. Does it strike anyone? I know the guys over at Dogs 24-7 brought this up, and I was nodding my head emphatically. Does it strike anyone that a guy named Kirby Smart, head coach at Georgia, who is notorious for keeping things close to the vest, does it strike anyone that he felt the need to walk to a podium and voluntarily let everyone know, oh, hey, um, JT Daniels is cleared. He can play Saturday. Kirby Smart never does that. So what that struck me as is pretty obvious gamesmanship. I, I think he may play Saturday. I don't think he's your starter. I also don't think that's been determined, but I really lean towards Stetson Bennett being the guy who's going to run things. So with Stetson Bennett in there, let me tell you a sentence that people would normally say about Georgia that I don't know you can say right now. Listen to how easily this rolls off the tongue if you've watched Georgia football a lot. With Stetson Bennett in there, with the run game they have, they can win it. You see how that you see how people just look past? You just assume Georgia's got a great run game, right? Uh, no, I can't say that right now. Week one to week two, that's where the most improvement happens. Well, we better hope it's true for Georgia because against one of the worst run defenses in the league last year, either Arkansas became a brick wall overnight or Georgia's run game has a lot of work to do. They averaged under three yards per carry. They averaged under two and a half yards per carry in the first half 
last week. And that is a situation where you had a lot of bad spotlight that was shown on the quarterback. You shouldn't have ever had to worry about it. You should have just been able to run it down their throat. You couldn't. You couldn't play Georgia football against them. That's the big concern because um, let me make a promise to you. Kevin Steele and that defense is going to roll into Athens Saturday, little upgrade in quality from what you saw against Arkansas. And what I mean to put a finer point on it is Stetson Bennett better be the real deal because you're going to have to throw the football to win, regardless of how good your defense is. I don't think you're pitching a shutout against Auburn. You're going to have to throw the football to win. Bo Nix, I think, is the most important player in this game. Auburn's quarterback, I think probably the most overlooked Power 5 returning quarterback in America relative to his potential is Bo Nix. Auburn, we called him the biggest mystery team in America. Still think that, by the way. I think Bo Nix is one of the most overlooked quality quarterbacks in America. He, I think, is the most important player in this game because he's the best quarterback in the game, in my humble opinion. And I'll also tell you, I think there's a couple of things that Gus Malzahn knows, head coach there at Auburn. The first thing is, I think he knows his defense can limit what Georgia does because I think they probably look at Georgia's offense and say they'll do a good enough job limiting themselves. And we're not bad, so we can limit them. I don't think Auburn believes Georgia can score 17 to 20 offensive points on them. I think that's what they believe at Auburn. So Malzahn knows that. And the reason I mentioned that, part one, is because of what it means for part two with Auburn. I was at this game last year. I stood there on the field and watched Georgia completely pack Auburn's lunch all afternoon. Shut out city. But the final score looks close because towards the end of the game, apparently enough people in the crowd shouted hurry up and tempo that Auburn went into their two-minute offense and they started scoring and they started moving the ball up and down the field. And uh, now Georgia was in a more preventative look, obviously, but that's when new life was breathed into that offense. I don't think Malzahn looks at things and say, well, we're going to wait again. We're going to go about things in a more methodical nature again, and we're going to get shut out again, and then we'll be behind again. I don't think he wants any agains. So what I think they'll do is, I think they'll come out knowing that their defense may save them from having to pay for some mistakes in the passing game. I think they'll be as aggressive early downs in the passing game as you've seen them be in quite a while. And I don't think they'll play with the normal trepidation that maybe you would if you were facing a more prolific offensive attack on the other side of the football field. Malzahn trusts his defense, and as a result, I think they're willing to take a lot more risk offensively. Now, that sounds all well and good because you always picture it working. You're also playing one of the best defenses in the country, and you're playing a veteran-laden defense that doesn't necessarily bite on all that motion and eye candy that maybe a younger, greener defense would bite on. So if that doesn't pop, if that plan doesn't work, Auburn may bog down, and they may bog down pretty quickly because this offensive line that Auburn's going to trot out there, they looked okay last week. Make no mistake, that's a decided matchup advantage for Georgia. And Georgia should be able to do some work up front. And Georgia should be able to pressure the quarterback. Uh, that's one of the big focal points here. That's why Bo Nix making good decisions and just choosing to throw the ball away or hold onto the ball, those are going to be as big as some of the passes that he hopefully threads across the middle of the field. Georgia is very disciplined defensively. So you can get points on them, but you're going to have to earn it. And I think Kirby Smart is perfectly okay if everything I just said is the game plan for Auburn. If he were to know right now, hey, man, they're going to take shots on you, Kirby Smart would probably lean back and he'd go, all right, I mean, I've got this defense for a reason. All right, I'm probably more likely to end up scoring points with them doing that than I am with my own offense on the field. That's probably what Kirby Smart would say, off the record, of course. So, Colin, without further ado, let's go to the game capsule. 
because I think I may disagree with our model. Our model, whereas the Las Vegas number is Georgia minus seven, our model is right in line with the Vegas number. We've got it a tick higher. So we've got Georgia minus seven and a half. I got to tell you, as I was making my pick on this, I initially leaned Georgia and I leaned Georgia covering. And the more I thought about it, the more that I couldn't justify finding a reason why they win by more than a score. So I'm going to lean Georgia to win a narrow game here because I think that offensive line defensive front matchup is probably the difference. But I'm going to take Auburn to cover. I think that's a very close one possession down to the fourth quarter, either way sort of game. Needless to say, it's the game that we are looking forward to the most on the college football slate this week. We got to do mood tracker. The mood tracker is going to take us a number of different places. What the mood tracker is, is we take the fringes off your fan base, the, the most radical and the most, the most pessimistic, and we ignore them for the purposes of the mood tracker. And we just try and gauge what the temperature is of the middle 80% of your fan base, the silent majority, as we like to call them. What is the mood and how much has it changed over the course of the last few weeks for these programs? First program up, LSU. Our preseason mood tracker had house money swagger. That was the official mood. That's the mood where you've already won a ton of money. You already got a national championship, in other words. And so, hey, anything you get this year's gravy and you walk around really cocky. So we've upgraded the mood tracker for LSU. Right now, we are calling them being in stubbed toe swagger mode. The swagger's there. It's going to be there all year. They're always going to have that national title to fall back on. But you can swagger and stub your toe. And boy, did they collectively Saturday. That was embarrassing. That wasn't just a hard-fought 23-20 to 20 game. That was one where your defense got completely and utterly torched. Charcoal all over that secondary by Mike Leach, who had been in the conference about 15 minutes at that point. Stubbed toe swagger. Now, what they hope is get a lot of guys back, get your feet back under you, come up here and pace to Vanderbilt, Nashville's, Nashville's team. That's who LSU is playing for the second year in a row Saturday. Let me pause. You know, there's an allegation that uh, the, the SEC league office is in cahoots with Alabama. Could I just point out that, that Alabama-centric league office in Birmingham has given LSU back-to-back -back trips to Nashville? Could I just point? Let me just have that said. I don't want that to sidebar. I want it on the record. Let's move on. How about Alabama? Speaking of the tide. I disagreed with a lot of you after this Missouri game in week one. What's the mood tracker for Alabama? I wrote down categorical analyzation mode. Everyone's in analyzation mode after week one. But I got to tell you, there are camps forming amongst the Alabama faithful. Two of them in particular. One of them is, oh, I would call it the more commonsensical group because I agree with them. That's why they're commonsensical. And that's the group that says, uh, we're probably not scoring 65, and we're probably not going to have a 550-yard passing performance, but what we are going to have is a lot more balance and a lot less variance and a lot higher reward, lower risk proposition offensively this year because we can run the ball and get physical with people, which we kind of lost the ability to do most recently. There's that crowd, which is more than pleased with what they saw in week one against Missouri. Then there's the other crowd. And the other crowd is the kind of crowd who could spot a divot on a fairway at Augusta National clear from space. And unless everything's perfect, they aren't happy. I kid you not. I came back to the internet and Twitter.com and the like a few hours after the Missouri game the other night thinking Alabama folks have to be ecstatic. I mean, I've watched Oklahoma blow a lead. I've watched LSU get humiliated. I got Texas over here in overtime in Lubbock, Texas, and you guys just smashed Missouri, so I figure you guys got to be happy. 
And nah, man, people were squabbling back and forth over on BamaOnline.com. Well, Bryce Young fumbled a snap. Did you see? Did you see number 60 at right tackle when they gave him some snaps? And I, I just washed my hands of it and I walked away. So you got analyzation going on, but it's categorical. And you got infighting kind of amongst the Alabama fan base. I think you'll be pleased with what you see them do Saturday. Moving on, Georgia. Oh boy. Uh, ready for redistribution is what I wrote here. It's not political. Uh, it is debate night, but this is not political. What it means is this. There were a number of years in recent history where I was down in Columbus, Georgia, and I'm 40 minutes, depending on how far and how fast you drive, to the east of Auburn, Alabama. And a lot of people down there looked around and said, man, we got a really good defense. We got an elite defense, and yet we're going to waste it. And now the same folks well, not the same folks. Different folks have the same attitude in Athens about their team. They're looking there and they're saying, uh, well, we got two things here. We got a historic, potentially historic defense. And then we got an offense we have no clue about. And could we not go into video game mode and just take some of the skill points over here and, and all that we've invested defensively, could we just not shift it? Instead of being a 90-10 team, could we be like a 75-25 a team or, or maybe a 70-30 team? Because if we could just get a little bit over here offensively, we don't have to score much, man. We just, we gotta be able to score more than five against Arkansas and a half. Is that too much to ask? We need to redistribute some of this on our talent roster or else we're going to waste this defense. And if you think that way in Georgia, I do not blame you one bit. Let's move on to Oklahoma. You want to talk about someone in need of defense. There was a John Mayer song that came out a few years ago, Waiting on the World to Change, and that's exactly what the mood is that we have right now on the Mood Tracker for Oklahoma, Waiting on the World to Change. And by world, I of course mean defense, but not just defense anymore. They're unhappy even with their offense out there. Their offensive line put up about as much resistance to Kansas State as this thermos in my hand did Saturday. It was a very ugly thing to watch. And as I said, there were some irate fans in Norman, Oklahoma and the surrounding areas. And while I may be a guy sometimes who says you need to pump the brakes, you need to be a little more patient, I'm not saying that to Oklahoma folks. You got every right to be irate because as I stated Sunday and I will restate now, this is not the NFL. This is not professional sports in general. This is not a parody driven model. The model of college football is not equality. The model of college football is heavily tilted towards the big programs. And this guy, Lincoln Riley, and that OU behind him, that's one of the big boys. And everything's tilted towards them. And they should dominate teams like Kansas State. I don't say that disrespectfully to K-State. I say it as just an honest observer of the sport. And when you're getting pushed around like they did, and you're giving up 35 to 14 leads like they did, it is absolutely well within a fan's right who is fully invested financially and emotionally like you asked them to do. It's fully and well within their right to complain. And not only are they complaining about defense being non-existent for several years now, hopefully you got Alex Grinch and hopefully he's the right guy for the job. And to be honest, I think we still have to give him time because he's not playing with his roster. But they got complaints about their offense. Man, they have valid complaints about their offense. So Oklahoma, man, they got to they lick their wounds quick. Because I don't know if anyone's noticed, but they go play my Iowa State Cyclones Saturday, a state I've never been to, a school I've never been to, but I have the t-shirts. And they are favored by not 27, not 17. They're favored by seven as of now. And since we're speaking of point spreads, Colin, why don't we wrap up the show 
by talking about the Ramen Noodle Express, which is currently sitting at 6, 3, and 1 on the year. That is profitable by any standard. And so we added Missouri plus 10.5 as our early best bet on Sunday. We've got two more games to add tonight. Favorites. Favorites were good to us last week. Let's add two. Let's go to North Carolina. UNC is on the road against Boston College. And they are laying 13.5. And and we want to get that one at 13.5. Now, i got to be honest with you. I should have tweeted this one out earlier. I got it at 11. You're not interested in what I got it at because it's not available right now. So I'm going to shut up about that. But we have North Carolina winning this game comfortably by three scores. And by scores, I mean touchdowns. So I'm not talking about a 17-point win there. We like them comfortably. This game, we think, sets up the exact same way that the Florida Ole Miss game set up. In fact, our model used the Florida Ole Miss data point as a comparable data point. And so we think North Carolina is going to go in there and do some work. Keep in mind, uh, they've been resting due to COVID for like a month, it seems now. So not fatigued by any stretch will be the North Carolina Tar Heels. Another game that we're on is Arkansas State minus three. A lot of COVID headlines and rumors out there. We don't care. We are taking Arkansas State on the road against Coastal Carolina minus three. Remember, we will have two more games to add to that between now and the end of the show Thursday. I could wait to then. I could tweet it out. I could do it on the podcast. So I highly advise you to follow me on Twitter if you haven't already, at LateKickJosh. Very easy to remember, at LateKickJosh. I go back and forth with a lot of you. I've been doing that today. I've probably talked to like two, two or three dozen of you today. I, I try and make myself available and I converse with you back and forth. But sometimes I don't wait to the shows. So be there for that. Uh, if you haven't already liked the video, if you're watching live or the replay, and subscribe to the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel, because the other little piece of information I wanted to give you, outside of the metrics that you guys blew out of the water Sunday, is I think we had like 400 new subscribers to the channel over the course of one day. That's a really good number. But I think we can do better. So subscribe here if you haven't already, and click the bell for notifications. It lets you know the moment that we go live and the moment that we post new videos. And sometimes they are very time-sensitive. All right, I've talked long enough. Let's get out of here. For Director Colin, for Jordan on the podcast side, I'm Josh Pate. We'll be back here same time Thursday night with final thoughts on week five slash week two for the SEC. Take care, have a great night, and God bless.